So today we are continuing a new series of messages we began last week called Since You Asked as we tackle some of the big questions of life and more specifically the big questions about our faith. And so since Easter, Easter is this big celebration and the big question is now what, right? Now what do we do? And uh, we've been asking the question, if our, if our primary call, if our primary purpose in life is to follow this risen Jesus, then we're probably going to have some questions along the way, right? I doubt that there's anyone here today that has it all figured out. Anyone got that yet? If you do, find me afterwards, because I'd love to talk to you. Uh, We all have questions. We all have doubts about our faith. And so over these weeks, we're going to be exploring some of those uh, together. And over the next month, as we ask these questions, we're going to be turning to God's word, to the Bible, as our primary source. And so if you've got that in front of you today, we're going to be using that uh, quite a bit. And if you don't have one, those are for you to take home. We want to get rid of them, not throw them away, but have them in your hands. So if you need a Bible, take that home. It is my hope and prayer that we become a church where every single person that comes to worship on Sunday brings a Bible with them. How cool would that be? Right? Because it's not just something that we do here on Sundays, but that your Bible is tattered and torn and ripped and highlighted and underlined and all that. That is my prayer, that that's the kind of church uh, that we become. And so if you need one, please take one. They are, they are for the taking. So the question is, if we're going to turn to the Bible, we're always talking about it, we're always using scripture references, we're always talking about these stories, if the Bible is going to be our number one source for wisdom and truth, if we have answers, or excuse me, questions in our life, when we turn for answers, if the Bible is our number one source, it might be good of us to stop and ask, why? (laughs) Right? Why? Why is it that we turn to there and not to Oprah or to the latest magazine? Why do we turn to scripture? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. What is the Bible? First of all, why should I believe it? Why should I base my entire life on it? And you may have noticed that, that every single week we invite you to bring your Bibles and that's why. That's why, because our goal as a church, my goal is not to point you to me. I don't have all the answers. My goal every single week is to point you to the one who does have all the answers. And one of the main ways that God communicates with us is through his word, through scripture. And so the truth is, though, when we look around us today, we know that we live at a very interesting and unique time in the history of Christianity. If you've talked to anyone outside of your Christian circle, outside of your small group, if you hang out with uh, any non-Christians, which I certainly hope that you do uh, on a regular basis, uh, it doesn't take you long to realize that our country and the people that make it up and and many of the people that are around you every single day uh, make up what historians would call uh, not a Christian nation, <laughs> right? In the past, historians have called America a Christian nation because we were founded on the values and the morals and the beliefs of Christianity, right? Not of any other religion, but of Christianity. So we are a Christian nation. For the longest time, in fact, Christianity dominated Western culture, right? If you go back to your history books, Christians were so influential and driving in leadership um, art and music and politics and, 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 and all that, all the different social sectors, Christianity was, was the center of life. And even if you go back just as, as soon as about you know, 50, 60 years ago, what was the center of town? What was the center of life of a community? The church, right? And what do we see today? You know, Walmart, Lowe's, you can go there, you can stop there. If I have time in my week, I'll stop by at church, and then I'll go do that, right? 
Life is busy. Life is full. Church, the Bible, Christianity is not the center of a majority of people's lives. If, if you think about it today, if you bring up the Bible in a conversation, right, in, in a, in today, as opposed to, let's say, 50 years ago, you bring up the Bible, even if people don't agree with you, majority of the people are going to know the stories, right? Christians or non-Christians, whatever they happen to believe, they're going to know about David and Goliath, right? This is 50, 60 years ago. They're going to know these stories. They're going to know generally what the church teaches. But today, that's not the case. Today, you're going to get more answers like, stop trying to push your beliefs on me. We, we can just kind of pick and choose. But, yeah, that's important, but that verse, that doesn't really apply. That's just old. That, that's, that's irrelevant, right? We're going to start to get some of those responses. Uh, I think we have this up on the screen, but a recent, a recent Gallup poll a couple years ago shows, shows this, if you can read that. Um, I just pulled this out of a, a big, long, boring report, so I saved you all that reading time. Uh, this is from just 2007, so I'm imagining things are still progressing now, but one-third of the American adult population believes the Bible is the actual inspired word of God. One-third, <laughs> right? So two out of every three people you meet are going to say, ah, I don't know. It's just a book, right? And this is what I found interesting as well. One in five Americans believe the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. Now, you might look at that and say, yeah, I think some of that's true. But if you really think that those people, that's what the Bible is. That's it. Only that. Right? Is that all the better we can do? Is that what you're basing your life on today? Is a fable? Is, is, is a legend? Uh, is that it? Is that what people for thousands of years have died for? Have given their lives to follow this God? It seems strange for the book that is by far, by far, the best-selling book of all time. Beating out Harry Potter by... A lot. Okay, so the Bible, best-selling book of all time. Just a book of good things by a good guy, by a good teacher. Is that what it is? But these facts of kind of a, a growing mistrust in, in Scripture should grab us. We shouldn't just say, well, that's culture. That's them, and we're going to stay over here in our holy little huddle because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and so you guys can stay over there, and we'll stay over here and just keep them separate. Is that really what's going to change people's lives? I don't think so. Instead, I think that uh, facts like that from a poll like that, instead they should grab us and they should stir us and they should motivate us to engage culture creatively and to lead people towards Christ in some brand new ways. We have to get creative with it. And so uh, it should stir us a little bit. And so especially when that book that you're holding in your hands this morning is, is we claim to be the source for making sense of reality, right? It is, it is the answer to some of the biggest questions that we have in our lives. Who God is, who we are, how we got here, uh, what's the point of our existence? And so even though it's a challenge, it's good for us to wrestle with these questions of why do I believe what I believe? It's like the band just sang about, right? Well, I believe what I believe. It's what makes me who I am, and that is very, very true. 
what it does is it forces us to not just come here every week to worship and to open up the scripture when the Bible reader says, open up the Bible, and you kind of crack open your Bible, and that's the first time you've opened it up during the week, and you say, oh yeah, that makes sense, and then you shut it and you move on with your life. But what if that wasn't the way that we viewed scripture? What if it was truly something as followers of this God and this Jesus throughout history, what if it was something worth dying for? Right? What if that book that you hold in your hands this morning was something worth dying for and, not only that, something worth living for? As uh, uh, the team leaders of City Branch and I meet on a regular uh, basis, and you're going to meet them a little bit later during Roots, and we've been throwing around this question particularly about our mission as a church. We've talked about this before, but to build missional leaders... Uh, disciples of Jesus and to build bridges to the city, right? That is our mission as a church under the umbrella of Lutheran Church of Hope's Church of Hope's mission to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Let's say that together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And so we've been asking ourselves as leaders, if that's what our mission is, is it worth giving our lives to? Or is church just another social club? Is it just another thing that you do during the week? Or is what we're called to do here as followers of Christ, if what we read in the Bible, because that's where our mission comes from, right? That's where our mission comes from. We get building missional leaders. That's the great commission. Go and make disciples, Matthew 28. We get building bridges from the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and your strength. These are right out of scripture, And so we should probably believe that Scripture has something very important to say if we even based our entire mission as a church on it. And so we've been asking ourselves as leaders, is it something worth dying for? Or are we just going through the motions? Or are we just putting in our time? And it's a good question for all of us, and I pray that that would become true for all of us. Why am I here? Is this the most important task in the world of pointing people to the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. And so we have this question uh, that the message is entitled with today, is the Bible merely a made-up myth? And so I want to ask you a question. We probably need to define our terms a little bit. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say myth? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's that? Not true? Fake? Yeah? Yeah. Jack and the Beat. I hadn't thought about that one. I forgot about Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Believe? Make believe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe for some of you it's, uh, uh, what's that? Yeah, exactly. So for some of you, it's, it's, uh, maybe it's Greek mythology. You know, like you think of myth, like, uh, Hercules or Zeus or somebody like that, right? Maybe if you're in school right now, you're learning that. I remember learning that, uh, in eighth grade. That was really exciting. And so, uh, even in America, we have our own myths. We have our own folk tales, right? Like uh, George Washington. You remember the story of George Washington, right? He goes and he, he chops down his father's cherry tree, right? It's cherry tree? I want a cherry tree. I love cherries. So George Washington chops down his father's cherry tree when he's just a young lad. And then, of course, his father confronts him and he says, what? I wouldn't tell a lie, right? I did it, right? And so we have myths even in in America, and there's no evidence necessarily that these myths are necessarily true. Some myths are, some necessarily aren't. But 
regardless of whether they're true, we pass them down from generation to generation because in these myths, there is a story that points to some larger truth. There is an importance of having myths. And so in the case of George Washington, right, it's not just that he chopped down a cherry tree. We've passed that down because we want generation after generation to know that there is something honorable about being an American, right? There's something honorable about being a leader in our country. Um, and to make it a little bit more relevant, some of you maybe have myths. Some of you, uh, maybe, can you remember that, that uh, story from your family vacation growing up? Maybe when you were little or with your children now, right? There's, it kind of turned into a folk tale, right? Like for me, it was like, I think our dad got lost like three times in an hour or something. And it's just been stretched this, yeah, dad got lost like eight times in an hour when we went to Washington, D.C., you know? It just gets stretched. Do you have stories like that in your family? You know, like that, and the, the air conditioning broke, and it was 180 degrees, and we almost died, and then the pizza guy, you know, like all these stories from vacations. Like, we have myths in our families as well, and we pass them down and pass them down. It brings the family together. Well, to define this a little bit, there's a woman named Karen Armstrong in her book, uh, A Short History of Myth, and she defines myth like this. Myths are universal and timeless stories that reflect and shape our lives. Universal and timeless stories that reflect, reflect on and shape our lives. And I'll also that add to that from, from some other things that I read. Myths are, obviously, stories that we tell to each other. Right? Myths come from within people, from within a culture, from within a society. They help us explain life. And if you think about this, just go with me for a second. If we're honest... Every country, every major religion, every ancient religion that has ever existed has myths, right? There are stories that get handed down, whether it's, it's, it's Buddha or something with Hinduism or anything. Christianity is the same thing, right? We have these stories. We don't call them myths. We call it God's word, the Bible, but uh, it is reflected in the religious writings of a lot of different religions. So in other words, these stories are narratives as we sometimes call them, guide and shape our lives. Christianity is not unique in that sense. Every religion has these guiding stories. Some of these stories, in fact, become grand stories, or as they're sometimes called, meta-narratives. That are the the one central story, the, the overarching story that guides our lives. And that's what we believe the Bible to be. When you hold this book in your hands, we believe that this isn't just a random collection of stories that you can kind of open up and point to and say, well, that's my wisdom for the day, right? Some people do that. But do we really believe that this is one continuous story? That the Old Testament is pointing to the New and that the New Testament is reflecting back on the Old. That this is one continuous story. Is that what we believe? Is it our meta-narrative? Not just a bunch of moral teachings that we should abide by, but it's God, God's truth. And the good news for every single one of us today is that if we believe that that's true, if it is truly our meta-narrative, the importance of that is that we can look back And all throughout scripture, we can see a God who is faithful. We can see a God who has acted throughout history. And so when we encounter things in our lives here today, we can say, I'm a part of that story. Whatever emotion I'm feeling, chances are somebody's experienced that before. And I can go back to the stories of scripture 
and look and see how God related to his people. And to see a God that is faithful, which means that we can trust him today. You can trust him today. In fact, if we think about it, everyone, what, no matter what we believe, right? You may have some, some friends, some family members, some people in your life that don't believe what you believe. But the thing that binds us all together is that we all have a meta-narrative, right? This is ours, <laughs> right? That's why you're here today. But for some people, it's not. Everybody has a meta-narrative, whether they claim a certain religion or not. Maybe it's God's story. Maybe it's a different religion. Maybe it's a set of beliefs that we just kind of came up with that I'm strong, I'm independent, I can make it through life on my own, so I'm just going to kind of figure out my own story, right? A lot of people have that meta-narrative. But we believe that the Bible isn't just a fairy tale, but it's about real events in real history with real people. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. Uh, He makes this point about the resurrection, which we just celebrated a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 15. Basically, Paul just says, if, if the resurrection isn't real, if everything that Jesus did here on earth isn't real, then we of all people should be pitied. Right? For Paul, it's very black and white. It's not wishy-washy, okay? For Paul, it's very black and white. He said, we should be pitied. Why? If the resurrection isn't real, then following Jesus just kind of becomes an awful big gamble with nothing to back it up. Why would we base our lives on and worship a God who's dead? That's not worth giving our lives to and living for. So what is it that we believe the Bible to be instead? Turn with me to Revelation, very last book in the Bible. We're going to hop around a little bit here. All the way back, flip all the way back. Revelation chapter 1. In a way, you could say that the Bible is a myth, but it's stories that, that, that we hold to be true, that, that point us to a bigger truth, but the Bible calls itself something different. Revelation chapter 1 Verses 1 and 2. Well, actually, we'll just do verse 1. Listen to what John says. This is a revelation. A revelation from Jesus Christ. Notice right here. Which God gave him. Just in that one little sentence, do you see the difference of why the Bible is not a myth? What did we say a myth was earlier? People make it up, they tell these stories to each other, they get passed down from generation to generation. Look at what John says here. Look at what John says here. Which God gave him. That is the one claim that the Bible makes that sets it apart from every other piece of ancient uh, literature. Which God gave him. In all the other myths, it's God, it's, it's us making it up, but the Bible claims to be different. That This book, as well as all the other books in the Bible, are truth from God himself to us. It's God speaking to us, not us speaking to God and saying, this is the story that we made up that we're going to live by. Okay, so flip back with me now to 2 Timothy, where our scripture was for today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Really easy way to remember this scripture. There's a really uh, uh, famous, uh, another 316 in the Bible. Do you know what that is? John 316, right. So if you can remember that, then you can remember 2 Timothy 3.16, right? This is an important one, too. So 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. I think we have this up on the screen. Let's read this together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. 
It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So once again, Scripture says this isn't just another myth that we made up. It is inspired by God. It is a revelation from God to us. And we can trust it because think about this. Wouldn't you rather read a manual written by the creator than by the user? (laughs) Right? It doesn't matter if it's your lawnmower or your microwave or or something new that you got at home, right? You want to read the manual. Why? Because it was written by the people that made it. It was written by the people that put it together. Not you out there and there's blue smoke coming out of your lawnmower and you're trying to get it to work. I can't figure this out. Maybe you should read the manual, right? Right? So it's the same thing with scripture. It's the same thing uh, with our world. So it's God's word that does the transforming in us. One of my favorite musicians, Rich Mullins, who actually wrote that song that the band did for special music today, it's called Creed. And if you heard what what the band was singing, the lyrics are this. I love this. Just listen to these lyrics. Well, I believe what I believe is what makes me who I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. Right? Right? That's powerful lyrics. I love that. I love that. It's making me. And as you spend more and more time in Scripture, you realize that you bring less and less to the table every time. And it is all about Scripture transforming you in the process. I challenge you to do that. Okay, so we ask, how can I trust it? There's some such old documents. They're all put together. There's got to be so many things wrong with it, right? Well, let's start with Jesus, right? What did Jesus think of Scripture, okay? If you read a flip, quick flip through the Gospels, you'll see that over and over again, we hear Jesus saying, do you know the Scriptures, right? Do you know the Scriptures? Have you read the Scriptures? Jesus was a rabbi, right? Rabbis knew the Scriptures inside and out, and the Scriptures at those times, of course, were the Old Testament. But Jesus even said, I didn't come to get rid of Scripture. I am the fulfillment of it. I came to fulfill it. So Jesus has this really high view of Scripture. It's God's word. It's not just a bunch of ancient writings. Jesus says it's about me, actually. Jesus sees Scripture as reliable and trustworthy. If not, Jesus wouldn't have quoted the Old Testament more than anything else. Jesus' entire ministry is based on quoting the Old Testament and being the fulfillment of that prophecy. Okay, so next let's look at the Gospels, right? How could the Gospels be true? How can we trust those? So after Jesus raises from the dead, the church begins to spread. You can read about it in Acts. And the stories about him start to spread. And many of his early followers called uh, the apostles uh, start to write them down. And just as if you were in a courtroom, right, and you're talking about event, there was a a drive-by and two cars hit each other and, and something happened and there's a person standing on that side of the road and a person standing over there and a person standing inside their office building across the street, right? And you bring all three of those people into a courtroom as eyewitnesses to the event, right? If every single one of those witnesses said the exact same thing, <laughs> wouldn't you think that was a little fishy? Like they were coaxed, like they were coached to do it, right? But if all three of those witnesses said, said Basically the same thing. They said the, pretty much the same story, but in a little bit different ways from a different vantage point. That would almost make it more believable, wouldn't it? When you think about it that way. And that's what we have in the Gospels. That's what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, the, um, 
the, if, if we were here today and, and I said, tell me about worship at City Branch today, some of you might say, well, the band, they just rocked. That was, that was the best part of the day. And some of you might say, See, I had six donut holes. Those are the best donut holes. Everybody's going to give a little bit different vantage point, and it's the same way with the Gospels. So, yes, the Gospels were said to have been written between 20 and 30 to 35 years, depending on what scholars you ask, after Jesus' resurrection. You might say, wow, that's a long time to wait before we write these down. But you have to remember that when the Gospels were written, there were still hundreds of people still alive who were eyewitnesses to Jesus and to his life and to everything that he did. So think about how easy it would have been if I'm writing this down and I'm writing down the story of when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, right? And I'm writing that down. There was probably a few other people there. Or when Jesus turned water into wine or healed the blind man, there was probably a few other people that knew about those stories. And if you really wanted to lie, you probably couldn't get away with it, right? Because there's more people that are going to be reading these saying, I was there. That's not how it happened, right? Same thing if we talked about something that happened in worship today. And so as time went on, uh, the leaders of the church decided that with all the stories being written, it would be important to write them down, to decide what are we going to include as scripture. And so they called this canon. And some of you have may heard of uh, the Council of Nicaea, maybe the Nicene Creed. Have you heard about the Nicene Creed? We say the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. Uh, came from the Council of Nicaea. And so we get all these church leaders and bishops together, and basically they get together and and say, what is the criteria, what is the criteria for what makes something scripture and what makes it just some other writing that somebody wrote up? And they had kind of three main criteria. First, is it linked to the apostles? Meaning that you can't just throw a book in the pile and say, let's make that scripture, right? Right? It's got to be linked to the apostles, to people that were actually there or people that were closely linked with them. Second, is it orthodox? And basically by orthodox meaning, does it line up with the teachings of Jesus? Does it it line up with the character of Jesus throughout scripture and who he is? Uh, And thirdly, did it have universal usage? And basically by that we mean that, that after all this was decided, it took till 325 AD to get this all decided, right? And Jesus rose from the dead, and they think 33 AD. That's a long time, which to me, actually, that gives me kind of hope, because it means they really wanted to get it right. (laughs) They didn't just say, yeah, let's make that the entire book we base our lives on, right? It took time, and they hashed it out together. And, uh, And by universal usage, we mean these scriptures were already in use in the temple, in worship, all right? So like Genesis 1, right? And the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and it was... Good. And so they would use scripture like that, not as to just read and we're done with the scripture reading. They would use it responsively and they would read it back and forth. And so were these scriptures being used? And so what I hope you see that more than anything is that these books were not written up by a bunch of religious people with an agenda. There was a process here that they were written by people inspired by God who had their lives changed by it. Listen to what Peter says uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter wrote some of the, the later books in the New Testament. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right? That's 2 Peter 1.16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. We were there. We were changed by Jesus. And so if I'm completely honest with you, 
we could go on and on and on. And we could talk all about this. And there is so much more here to dig into. We could be here all day in, uh, called textual criticism. And we could do this all day long. And I could read you long and boring books about this, about analyzing scripture. And of course, you can. And we encourage you to dig into it. Go for it. And we pray that it is uh, enriching for you. But there is more evidence behind the writings of scripture that you'll find than any other ancient document. There are more writings that support the New Testament than any other event or document in history. Thousands and thousands of manuscripts. And these things are all good to have. But the point of Scripture, the point of our meta-narrative, is that ultimately, ultimately, after all is said and done, that it transforms us. That it brings us to faith which is the last and most important reason that we have for believing and trusting in the Bible. Nothing else has the power to transform lives. And I could go on and on and on about famous people throughout history that have their lives transformed, but I think the most powerful thing for us to know today is to look around and see the people that are sitting next to you. People that have found this to be true. I hope that's why you're here, because you believe in what we're talking about. One of the awesome opportunities and privileges I have in in being a part of leading this church is I just get to hang out with you. (laughs) A lot of you. I get to do life with you. Not just here on Sundays, but all throughout the week. And I get to be in your homes and I get to go to coffee shops and and go golfing with you and do all sorts of things with you and just do life. And um, (laughs) I cannot help but see over the past few weeks how this book has spoken so deeply and, and, and relevantly in your lives. It is not something that we just read here on Sundays, but how it has spoken directly into the circumstances that you're dealing with. Somehow reading Romans chapter 8, that neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God, takes on a whole new meaning when you're sitting near a hospital bed, near someone that you don't know if they're going to make it or not. That changes that scripture. Somehow reading, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry and he came for me and he rescued me. Somehow reading that with some of you that have been feeling kind of dry and disconnected from God lately. Just sit down and you pause and you spend time before God and you read a scripture like that and it just cuts to the heart of your circumstances. There's power in these words, to create faith. Something about hanging out with, with um, some of the younger couples here in our church and, and wrestling with life decisions and what do we do next and how do I know what God's will is and, and somehow just reading Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Something about reading that in the context of the messiness and the brokenness and the questions and the doubts of life makes scripture come to life. Folks, it's not just an ancient book that needs to sit and collect dust on your shelves. Please, please, please weave it into the very fabric of your life. And as Hebrews says, it is going to cut. It is going to cut right to the heart of who you are. It is going to cut to the heart of who you are and speak to you like nothing else. I want to end with just a short clip from one of my favorite films called A River Runs Through It. 
And this is about a father who's uh, a pastor in Montana and his two young sons. And as you look at this clip, I don't want you, I want you to turn kind of your intellectual brain off for a second and your textual criticism. And I want you to just breathe this in. It's a really short clip and I want you to listen very closely to the words. Because I believe that it speaks to this truth of God's word in such a beautiful way in the context of fishing, in the context of a beautiful river. And if you listen close to the words, you can tell me what you hear. In the afternoon, we would walk with him while he unwound between services. He almost always chose a path along the Big Blackfoot, which we considered our family river. And it was there he felt his soul restored and his imagination stirred. Long ago, rain fell on mud and became rock. Half a billion years ago. But even before that, beneath the rocks are the words of God. Listen. And if Paul and I listened very carefully all our lives, we might hear those words. And if we listen very closely all our lives, if we paused, if we quieted our lives, we could hear that beneath the water and beneath the rocks, the very foundation of our lives is the word of God that refreshes your soul, refreshes your soul like nothing else. And I pray that as you go out today and as you experience the beautiful weather of spring, that you will take time to listen, to hear the voice of God that wants to speak to you. He wants to know you and have a relationship with you. That you would be able to hear the heartbeat of God for you in his word. Through the written word that he's given to us that is far deeper and far truer than anything else, to feel your soul restored. I pray in the end that we would be a church that devours the word of God because it changes lives. And in the process, we will be transformed.